0: As Pastor Richard likes to remind us from time to time, the Bible, first and foremost, is about God. It's about the God of the universe who calls us into an intimate, loving relationship with him and then who commissions us to represent him to those around us in the world. The word the scriptures use to describe this relationship that we have with God the Father is the word covenant covenant. And the words the Scriptures use for our responsibility to represent God in the world is kingdom. These two great themes of Scripture, covenant and kingdom, are found throughout the Old and the New Testaments. In fact, they are so tightly intertwined together, in some places it's hard to tell whether God is inviting us into a covenant relationship with Him, or He is challenging us to participate in the coming of His kingdom. Sometimes it's both. It's kind of like the way a human DNA molecule forms into a double helix. How many of you remember images like this from way back in high school or college or something like this? Now, those of us who have not studied molecular biology in a while... And I dare say that is most of us. This is the human DNA double helix that was discovered by Watson and Crick back in the early 1950s. Well, covenant and kingdom are kind of like the DNA of the Bible. These two great themes are the building blocks that allow everything else in the scriptures to kind of hold together. One of the places where these themes are so masterfully brought together is in the passage that we are going to read today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. Now, this passage in the New Testament is commonly called the Great Commandment. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I would ask that you would turn there with me now, and please follow along as I read this for us. If you did not bring your Bibles with you, this passage may be found on page 1,612 there in the Bibles in your pew racks. As you're flipping there, just a little bit more background. In verse 27, it says, love the Lord your God. Friends, that's covenant. That's relationship. That's relationship. That's the call for you and me to engage with God with all that we are. And then immediately following that, in the same verse, it says this, love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, that's kingdom. That's you and I sharing the relationship that we have with God with those around us. It's it's representing the king as the king. The love we have for our neighbors is a natural outgrowth of the covenant love that we enjoy with God. So I want to invite you now, once again, to follow along with me as I read this passage for us. This is Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the writer Luke says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? As we read through this passage of Scripture, many of you recognize, I'm sure, that well-known passage in the New Testament where Jesus is challenged one day by a teacher of the law in this way. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, in good Jesus' fashion, he replies to the man not with an answer, but with a question himself. So he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answers with two verses from the Old Testament. The first verse, it's kind of the answer that probably everyone would give. The call to love God with everything that we are comes straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is part of something called the Shema. In Hebrew, Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the Shema was recited every day as a part of Jewish prayer life. So everyone would have been familiar with that. And that was the obvious answer. But what about the second part? The lawyer adds Leviticus 19.18, which says, and love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus hears this answer, he gives the man a thumbs up. Way to go. And he tells him, and he says, do this and you will live. Evidently, this hotshot lawyer thought that Jesus' counter-question was too easy. So he challenges Jesus again, this time to, to really try and trick him up. And so he asks, and who is my neighbor? The consensus among Jewish thinkers of that day was that your neighbors, the ones that you were called to love, were other Jews only. In response, Jesus tells, right after the passage that we just read, that well-known to us parable of the Good Samaritan, where he takes an abstract theological principle, love your neighbor, and then he applies it to a direct, on-the-ground, real-life issue. And in that parable, he says that a non-Jew, a Samaritan, helped the man who had been mugged. And when Jesus told this in the context of his day, it was like a bombshell went off in the midst of everyone who was listening to this. Now, it's kind of hard to illustrate this, but here's the thing. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Friends, there was some serious animosity here. And at the end of the parable, Jesus asked the teacher of the law one last time, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law, he cannot even get out the hated word Samaritan. So he doesn't say that. He just merely says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus concludes, he says, go and do likewise. Now, I find it very interesting here at the end of the parable uh, that Jesus did not respond this way. He did not say, go and think likewise. He didn't just say go and get your attitude in gear or think nice, happy thoughts about the people that God brings into your life. No, he said go and what? Do. And let me tell you, our community needs us. In many regards, our culture is in trouble. What if the solution to our society's biggest issues has been right under our noses for about, 2,000 years. When Jesus was asked on another occasion in the Gospel of Matthew to reduce everything in the Bible into one command, he said the same thing that the lawyer said here in Luke. He said, love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, maybe that's the answer. Let's back up just a little bit more, even further still. And let's think about this. What if Jesus wasn't speaking metaphorically here about loving our neighbors? What if he was speaking literally and that we are called to love our actual neighbors? You know, those people who live like right around where we do. I wonder if we did that, how that might change the world. But you know, Here's the thing, we cannot love our neighbors if we don't even know who they are. I think I stink as a neighbor, because like so many of us, I don't really know many of them. Now, I have a very excellent excuse, but the pastor wanted to justify himself. Years ago, my late father-in-law gave me some advice He and his company used to manage homeowners associations. And he told me that homeowners associations are hotbeds of conflict. So he said, Brian, don't ever volunteer to do anything for an HOA. Don't even attend one of their meetings because if you do, they will suck you in. (laughs) So taking his advice, I never went not even to one of the yearly meetings not one in the meantime again like so many of us i would come home every day i would throw the garage door up slide the car in put the garage door back down run in and turn the tv on boom if i did anything in the yard it was usually in the backyard and for us That means a fence and a line of trees and that kind of thing. Occasionally, I would wave to folks as they would walk by and as I was out walking. I mean, I wasn't mean. You got that? You know. Do you think that's all Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor? A few months ago, I met one of the authors of a book called The Art of Neighboring. And he proposed a simple exercise that I want to share with you all today. And I'm going to need you all to find something with which to write while we go through this. So if you need to dig into your purse now to begin finding that, or if there's a pencil in the pew, you can use that. Everybody's going to be doing this. And I'm going to, I'm going to turn your attention to this insert in your bulletin. It's got a grid on it. It looks like, a, looks like a tic-tac-toe board, okay? So we're going to be writing a few things on this and have a little fun. So I need to give you a few instructions on how to fill this thing out. All right, so the first thing is, imagine that the middle box in the chart is where you live. And the other boxes are the eight houses situated nearest to you. So I want you to draw a little house in the center box there. Now, in, in the eight other boxes, you'll see A, B, C, right? Now, you're going to fill that out later, but to the left-hand side of the grid, you'll see A, B, and C on the side, right? I'm going to give you instructions, and I want you to write these down so that when you work on the grid, you'll know what to do. So, A. Everybody see that to the left-hand side? These are your instructions. You will write the names of the people who live in those eight households. So, A is names. B is Here you will, when you fill out the eight boxes, here you will write some relevant basic information. Basic information about each person. Maybe they've got a vintage car in the driveway, so you know already you can talk to them about these kinds of things. So A is their their names. B is basic information about who they are. And then C, finally, write down some in-depth information. This could be anything related to the purpose of their lives, how they see that, um, the things that motivate them to do the things that they do. Could be what they say about God. Could be what they fear, what they're worried about. In the art of neighboring, the authors say that in their experience, here are the percentages. In line A, about 10% of people in our country can fill out the names of all eight of their neighbors. Line B, about 3% can fill this out for every home around them. And line C, less than 1% can fill that out for every home. The reality is that a majority of us, although not everyone, do not even know who many of our neighbors are. And I wonder what this means in terms of biblical faithfulness. Jesus said, love your neighbors is at the irreducible center of what it means for God's call in our lives. What if he means our actual neighbors, the people who live closest to us, and we don't even know their names, let alone know something significant about their lives, what they dream about, what they hope for, what emptiness they may have. How can we love our neighbors if we do not even know who they are? Maybe getting to know our neighbors is the first simple step in loving them. What do you think? So how do we get to know our neighbors? Awkward for many of us. There's a simple little exercise that some of us around the church like to share with one another. It comes from Mike and Sally Breen, who were a part of our church for a few years there before they moved to Ohio. This formula is great for discerning what impact God might be calling you or your group to have in your community. These are the three Ps that can help us discern our missional purpose in our community, the three Ps. And the three Ps are problems passions and possessions okay what are these problems relate to any negative thing or dynamic going on in our communities both it could be in our own neighborhoods or it could be somewhere else passions uh are things that we care about things that get us up in the morning that god places on our hearts to make a difference in this area finally possessions refer to the various resources that God has placed into our lives it could be financial resources people think a lot about that sometimes but it could be relational resources the fact that you know people that maybe other people don't and you can connect them and that kind of thing sometimes it can just simply be know-how you as an individual know how to do certain things maybe you know how to fix a car So a while back, I took this formula and I began to pray to God that he would give me discernment about a good first step to know my neighbors. And sure enough, just a few days afterwards, something popped up on our neighborhood Facebook page. It seemed that there was just a little, well, problem in our neighborhood, and it was something like this. A few of the parents in our neighborhood wanted to do an Easter egg hunt but no one knew quite how to pull the thing off or how to organize it. Well, if any of you know my wife, Tracy, you know that she is the holiday queen. Tracy is passionate about having fun with holidays, and she easily possesses the know-how to pull off a simple Easter egg hunt. Plus, she has three men, another resource, who can stuff eggs, hide them, and take photographs of the whole thing. So she got on Facebook and invited folks who would like to help from around the neighborhood to the new Panera Bread on Pallum Road. And sure enough, we got to know some folks uh, at the meeting. And we learned, by the way, that through some hard work, the Neighborhood Association was actually healthy and functioning. And there were some great folks serving on it. The first time we tried to hide the eggs, we got rained out. But the Saturday before Palm Sunday was perfect. Tracy and I hid the eggs that morning, designated a special area for the little kids, and sure enough, about 25 children and their parents showed up for the event. We got to know a bunch of folks in our neighborhood and their pets, of course, for the first time, and everyone had such a good time. Now this is really just a simple thing, right? It wasn't such a big deal. But here's the here's the thing. The possibilities are infinite for getting to know our neighbors. I want to show you all some folks from our own midst here uh, at First Press who, uh, with their missional communities, are doing a much better job of loving their neighbors than I am. So if you would, take a look at the video screen, and let's hear their stories.
1: When Jesus said, love your neighbors, love God above anyone else, and love your neighbors, like, he he wasn't suggesting that we stay safe in our homes. He was suggesting that we go out and love them. It's like a verb.
2: If someone were to describe a neighborhood that they wanted to live in, they would say, you you want the kids to be outside playing in the street. You want to know your neighbors. You want to have relationships where you can hang out with your neighbors. It's important for me to know their names. Uh, It's important for me to keep an eye out.
1: I think loving your neighbor just means being there and sharing what we have with them. It's something we do intentionally, and as we were thinking about how can we do this better um, um, and coming up with some ideas, um, that's, that's where the front yard fire pit and picnic table came in. This
2: is where the healing begins. So about five years ago, we started having neighborhood dinners, potluck dinners. What we found has happened as a result of that is actually, well, people enjoyed it uh, very much. Also other people stepped forward to help us.
1: So one of the most important things that you can do is to learn to ask one of your neighbors for help. It opens that relationship up. So when you're asking somebody to feed your dog, feed your chickens, whatever. Um, while you're at the bring beach, bring the marshmallows. Bring the marshmallows to the fire pit. Like I try to ha- make sure that there's different things that people can help with because then they they see that they're 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 valued. Like this couldn't happen without you.
2: So what we found is that just by stepping out and getting something started, trying to show a little love, show um, a little bit of caring, that others have stepped forward very quickly and in their own way there's an underlying desire to be loving to one another, to be in relationship, to be neighbors with each other.
1: When I show love to someone else, then they carry that positive interaction with them to the next person. I think that we get caught up in the idea that being missional means we have to be evangelical every moment, right? And really, I can't be evangelical with someone or share my faith with them if I don't know them or they don't know me.
2: And you can't have a conversation about your, your spiritual life if you haven't even had a conversation at all. I guess I would encourage the, our members here at First Press to take a walk around the neighborhood. Say hello, um, knock on a few doors. Uh, and I guess my challenge would be to learn the names of those neighbors right around you. I'll be you.
0: Did you hear some of the things the Swaffords and the Brown shared? I can't share my faith if they don't even know me. You can't talk about your spiritual life if you've never had a conversation at all. Intentionality. Learning their names. Show people they are valued. Just show a little bit of love and caring. Why did Jesus ask the the lawyer when he said, who of these three was the good neighbor? And the lawyer had to admit, the one who showed mercy. The ones who showed mercy. What is the call, the core of God's call in our lives, both here on planet earth and in eternity? It is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, you and I are called to do just what Jesus did. He he took a principle from Scripture, and then he made it actionable in the lives around him. You and I are called to do the same thing as followers of him, to take his teachings, the teachings of the Bible, and to maybe use some of the tools that I've shared this morning or some that you could come up with yourself and then to creatively and intentionally apply them to our own lives. This is what's called missional living or kingdom living. So here's my challenge to you all today. Take this grid that I've shared with you this morning and fill it out, do the best that you can. And if you can't put all the information in that grid that it asks, then make a plan to get to know your neighbors. If you need some ideas along the way, ask God to show you your missional purpose using the three Ps that I included in the insert as well. On Saturday morning, August 24th, doing our annual missions conference, among other things, we are going to get together and share some more ideas about how to love our neighbors practically right here in Greenville. So um, the things that we share today are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of ideas that are out there. So if you would, put that date on your calendar that Saturday morning and plan to be a part of that. And I do hope today that maybe you've heard maybe just some small steps that you can take to make the great commandment to love your neighbor come alive in your own life as it's coming more and more alive in mine. I do believe that God can use these small steps to open further doors for conversations with our neighbors about the things of God, about covenant and kingdom. And as he does, I truly believe that we will be a part of the Holy Spirit's movement here in Greenville to transform the heart of the city. Let's pray together. Father, this world can be a tough place sometimes a place filled with isolation and stress and gracelessness. So forgive us when we fail to be your agents of hope and healing with those who live closest to us. Forgive us when we are the ones who fail to show mercy. Show us instead how to bring your light and love into our neighborhoods in a way that will make what we believe come alive. And as we do, let us feel your eternal pleasure as we enjoy a life of covenant with you and of representing you as king. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.